0: Get ready, Avalanche territory. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans. Denver Sports is your home for the most Avalanche content. Now here's your host, Mike Evans. Hey everybody, welcome into the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am Mike Evans, although based on the reaction that I've been getting, the reception I've been getting since the Avalanche lost game one last night, I'm apparently jinxy cat because I had the nerve the unbridled arrogance to think that not only would the Avalanche win game one, but that they go on to win this series in five games. Hey, listen, kudos to all of you out there who was wa- were walking around yesterday telling everybody, hey, listen, I'm worried about this game. I'm worried about the Kraken. I think the Avalanche lose. In fact, I think the guys are gonna be lucky to win this series. and if they do, they're gonna win in seven games. Really? Really? So I'm the Jinxy Cat. All of you are walking around out there seeing this coming. Okay? I tip my uh, my cap to you for uh, calling this. Now, look, nobody nobody expected the Avalanche to play as poorly as they did in this game. And even though they played poorly, I still am not overly concerned about the Avalanche ability to win this series. Now, if you want to look at the bigger picture... Okay, we can have a conversation about that. So let's kind of break this all down, all right? Why did the avalanche come out? And whether it was Jared Bednar talking about the game or Nathan McKinnon talking about the game, both saying basically the same thing. We just were not on our game. We made too many mistakes. We weren't mentally sharp. The focus wasn't there. So why? Why? That's, I think, the question all of you are asking today. Why did the avalanche come out and look so unavalanche-like? I think there's a couple theories in place for me. One, let's deal with the fact that much was made going into this game about how, hey, everybody's back. Everybody's healthy. All, all these guys that have been out, they're back. They're ready to roll. Well, that's good, but they had been out. So if you're a Josh Manson, you're a Kale McCarr, you're an Arturi Lekanen, you're, you're trying to get your own game back, okay? You're trying to get your own game back in rhythm, you're trying to get back into your groove individually, and you're trying to do it on the big stage that is the Stanley Cup playoffs at that, that speed and that intensity. But then you're also trying to fit back into the overall construct of the team, right? And so when you're getting these guys back, they haven't been part of the team uh, picture for a while either. So some continuity was off. Some of the chemistry was off. Uh, Jared Bednar said Josh Manson, for example, was rusty. Uh, That makes sense. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. So I I think that's a, a valid reason. Not an excuse, but it's a reason why they did not play as well. Secondly, I think the Avalanche were guilty of listening to too many of you. And you know who you are, okay? You were the ones that said coming down the stretch that the Avalanche had to win the division, that games against Minnesota were, quote, were, quote, uh, critical and important because you wanted to win the division so that you would avoid Minnesota or Dallas in the first round and you'd be able to get Seattle. Hey, man, we don't want anything to do with Minnesota and Dallas. We want Seattle. Second-year team, expansion team. Yeah, okay, they had 100 points, but, you know. Pay no attention to that. Yeah, they had the fifth most road wins in the NHL. Pay no attention to that. And there was this almost self-fulfilling prophecy created, really, that after a couple of weeks of talking about how important it was to win the division, and the Avalanche bought into that. They went pedal to the metal to try to win the division, and they did it. And you know what they did? They exhaled, just like we all exhaled. Because we bought into the idea that in getting Seattle, you were getting, well, Seattle. And that somehow the path was now going to be easier for the Avalanche through the first couple of rounds of the playoffs because they were getting Seattle. And I think the Avalanche just, they they exhaled. They let up. And they weren't sharp. I think they took Seattle for granted. I think there was an element of, hey, we're the Avalanche. We're the defending Stanley Cup champs. Seattle's going to cower in our presence. Ooh, the mighty avalanche, but you know what? Seattle didn't. And give them credit. Okay. This is a team made up of a lot of NHL veteran players, journeyman types, guys that had been relegated to third, fourth line roles with their teams. Um, fifth sixth defenseman, those kind of those kind of things some healthy scratches those kind of guys but by going to Seattle they were kind of given a new lease on their hockey lives right they were all of a sudden given a chance to go to a team where hey it, this this is this is a uh, piece of clay that we can mold this is this is all new and there's a new lease on our hockey lives here and that's a good solid blue collar team that you know is going to play the game the right way. Okay. And they did. And credit to them. They came out and they played a good, solid road game. And I think that's something else that we we got to talk about right here. Because this is already something that has become a pattern. Not a trend. This is a pattern that has been established in the NHL playoffs here over the last several years. Road teams. Road teams playing really well. Last night, the Az were one of four home teams to lose. So far through these Stanley Cup playoffs, as we're talking here right now, there have been eight playoff games played. Road teams are six and two. So why? Do you have any theories as to why the road teams over the last several years have been playing so well? The Az went nine and one in the playoffs last year, seven and zero oh in the Western Conference. What's the difference? Why? Because you don't see it in the NBA. You don't see it in football. So, why is it happening in hockey? My theory you always hear announcers say during a game, after a game, they're playing a good road game. They're playing a good road game. Well, what does that mean? I think Seattle just played perfectly by the blueprint. You come in with the idea on the road in hockey that you don't have to do anything special, you can be boring, you can be safe. You can leave guys back. Always make sure that there's three, four guys in your defensive zone. Always make sure that there's four guys clogging up center ice. And you just play boring, patient. We're not here to make a splash. We'll play a boring, muck it up game. And what we're counting on is that you be in the home team that eventually you're going to try to push the issue you're at home there's a certain energy in the building there's a certain uh, pressure to try to go out and and make something happen that I don't think the road team feels the same way and the home team ends up making a mistake and all it takes with these teams that come in and play these road games is they just they just wait for that opportunity wait 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 and then when you make that mistake then they go on that attack. But they're not look you you watched Seattle yesterday. They weren't just looking to take the play to the Avalanche. Now, when they were able to get the puck in deep and they were able to get their forecheck going, yeah, they would go to work, they'd cycle and 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 they get some opportunities, but you look at the at the three goals that that Seattle scored. These were not a result of overwhelming talent and pressure from Seattle. It was a Devontae's giveaway behind the net. It was a Josh Manson misplay behind the net. And it was, uh, as Jared Bednar put it, uh, poor execution at center ice that led to a three-on-two. Now, yeah, uh, uh, Seattle still had to convert. But it was, again, a result of avalanche mistakes. And Seattle just came in with the idea, like so many road teams do, we're just going to keep it simple, stupid. And we'll wait for the other team to make a mistake. We're prepared to try to shorten the game. We're not here to put on a show. We're not here to win 5-3. to We'll just kind of play it safe. And it it clearly works. Uh, Because you can't tell me that all these road teams, six out of the eight, are just superior hockey teams that have just superior talent, superior skill, superior speed, superior toughness, and that they're just out-talenting these home teams. I don't buy it. So... Until you can give me another theory, I'm going to go with that one. So that's why the Avalanche came out and played the way that they played. And and that's why they lost this game. All right, what does it mean? Short term, I, I, I still am not worried. If you think I'm sitting here right now all of a sudden really worried, oh, no, you know, chew it on my nails that the Ads are going to lose this series. No, I could easily see the Avalanche win the next four games. Six at the tops, at, at tops, right? I I believe the Avalanche got their wake-up call, um, and they'll come out, and they'll be a a much more engaged team, and we'll see a different result. I I thought it was interesting. Much was made after the game. And I get it. We're looking for headlines and the idea of Groobie's revenge. You know, Philip Grubauer coming in and sticking it to his old team. And does he get into the head of the Avalanche players? Look, I, I, I know that it is... It, it, is, it is fashionable whenever your team loses to just say, oh, man, what are you going to do? The opposing goaltender just stood on his head. Oh, well. You know, he was, he was out of his mind. Philip Grubauer was not out of his mind, okay? Philip Grubauer was good. He was solid. He was lucky at times. But th- this was on the Avs, okay? The, the Avs lost this game because the Avs didn't play with, they didn't skate well enough, they didn't move their feet well enough, uh, they they didn't attack the net, the front of the net, they didn't go to the danger areas, they did not sell out, they did not screen, they did not um, attack for rebounds like we saw from this team last year on their way to the Cup. Uh, That was was kind of a passive team. Grubauer made the saves that he needed to make. He was good, okay, but let's not talk about him being, you know, standing on his head heroic, okay? And I thought it was interesting, Nathan McKinnon, when it was asked after the game, would he take the bait? Would he say, hey, yeah, he was asked if uh, Grubauer, you know, was special at all, did anything special. And McKinnon just, you know, deadpan, said, no, nothing. And and in some quarters, that was met with, wow, can you believe he said that? What a shot! You know, what a shot at Grubauer. Dude, dudettes, can I tell you, that is a That is a stock answer that has been given to that question for probably over 60 to 70 years now in the history of playoff hockey. The last thing, the last thing that any player or any team, especially one that's the favorite, is going to come out afterwards and pump the tires of the goaltender, the opposing goaltender. They never do that. The last thing they want to do is create any idea that, The goaltender is somehow responsible for their struggles. They don't do that. They're always going to downplay the role of the other guy and they're going to make it more about ourselves, you know, themselves, what we didn't do, how poorly we came out. So, I I don't know. For some reason trying to make more out of McKinnon's response than it really was. uh, No, the Avalanche look at it and say, no, Grubauer wasn't special. He wasn't great. He didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. And that's exactly the way I think the Avalanche should look at this. And uh, the Avalanche, they, they know who they are. They understand. Heck, even Seattle understands deep down. They know that the Avalanche didn't play their game. And if the Avalanche can get back to playing their game, it's going to be a much different game, much different series. So in the short term, I look at the Avs, and I, I look at last night as simply, okay, wake-up call. Okay, Stanley Cup playoffs are underway, guys. Just because you won the division, just because you avoided Minnesota and Dallas, it, it doesn't mean that it's over. You still got to go out and play against a team like Seattle that's going to be, you know, a, the defini- definition of a blue-collar team. you got to have to go out and work. Okay? You're not going to just be able to throw your sticks out there and say, where are the abs? Move aside. So that's, that's in the small term. That's the small-term issue that I think is easily fixable. What about the bigger picture? What did we learn from last night's game or what was a reminder from last night's game that could pose a problem for the Avs' chances of going back to the Stanley Cup Finals and winning it again? Here's what we did see yesterday, and here is is something to be concerned about. The Avs just don't have the depth that they had last year. They do not have the scoring depth that they had last year. And, you know, I think back to... We were doing an avalanche roundtable prior to the season beginning. A group of us I think it was Zach, Stoke, Orlando Franklin, uh, Matt Smith, DeMac and myself we we're just chopping up all things abs. And one of the topics that was discussed was the idea of, okay, Nasm Kadri's not here anymore. How do they replace him? And what came out of that conversation, and it was a storyline right from the beginning of the season, and it has proven to be one throughout the season, is, okay, what you do is you give the guys that are here a chance to expand their roles. You give them a chance to be given more responsibility, see if they run with it. So JT Comfer, Alex Newhook, Logan O'Connor. I'm just naming some people off here. Um Evan Rodriguez, who comes aboard. These are all guys who are given the chance to step up and replace the contributions of Anasim Kadri and Andre Burakovsky. And meanwhile, you start the season knowing you don't have Gabe Landiscock. So, so these guys are given the chance to show what they can do. But, and I remember distinctly during this roundtable, having this conversation and making the point that, but... Okay, there was the proverbial button all this. Yeah, these guys are going to be given their chance to show what they can do, but be confident that if they don't run with that chance, that this front office will go out and make a move prior to the trade deadline to bring in a cadre replacement for that second line center. For example, I was, you know, banging the table for Ryan O'Reilly. I think he would have been a perfect replacement. But the Avs front office did nothing. This uh, masterpiece of roster building, not so much. Because they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. And make no mistake, I am not going to come out here and play uh, armchair quarterback, Captain Hindsight, and say, oh man, they should have re-signed Nazem Kadri. We had this debate on the fan, on this podcast, all last year, even before the Avalanche... I mean, this was back like last January last year. We were talking about debating whether or not to re-sign Nazem Kadri, and, and my feeling was always like, hey, love Naz, uh, love what he brings, love what he contributed, but a contract for Nazem Kadri is not going to age well. And if you're an Avalanche team that has a nucleus and has shown an ability to draft and develop guys, you just don't want to have a contract like that that's just going to drag you down. Now, while I was okay with them letting Kadri go, I never was okay with the idea of not trying to replace Kadri if these other players that you give a chance to in-house give them a chance that they don't run with it. My feeling was always like, hey, I'm okay with letting Kadri walk because I was confident in this front office, if they needed to, going out and finding a... Short-term replacement for Kadri, so meaning you find somebody that can give you the Kadri-type impact without having to make the long-term financial and contract-term commitment to that kind of player. So that's why I was talking about a guy like O'Reilly uh, or Patrick Kane, somebody like that, somebody that you could bring in that could give you that 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 real feeling that I'm replacing Kadri but I'm not doing so with a player whose money and contract is going to hinder me and hamstring me because that's why I didn't want to pay Kadri in the first place. So that's what I counted on this Avalanche team doing. So it's the old Zach uh, byline. Two things can be true at the same time. I was fine with them letting Kadri go because I assumed that this team would find a replacement for Kadri. They didn't do that. And and that really worries me because I, I think that I feel pretty confident in saying that if the Avalanche falls short of winning another Stanley Cup, we are all going to be able to agree that the reason that they fell short was because they just did not have that secondary scoring, that depth scoring through their second, third, fourth line like they had a year ago. And that will fall on the front office and the fact that they did not masterfully build this roster because... They knew. I mean, if 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 hockey fans like myself and you knew going into the season that hey, you're gonna have to find a replacement for Nazem Kadri, that second line center, and if it's not coming from the guys on the roster, you're gonna have to go out and address this. Plus, you knew, and if you didn't know, shame on you, front office. But you knew you couldn't count on Gabe Landeskog. If, if guys like me can sit back and as fans can sit back and say, man, I'm just not getting a good vibe here. I'm not getting a good feel about Gabe being able to come back this year. You don't think that they knew that? They had to know that. They had to know at least around the start of the new year that the likelihood of Gabe coming back was 50-50 at best. I mean, yeah, they could They you could hope that Gabe would come back, but you can't count on it. So the fact that even if you had a healthy gabe landeskog that was still a hole you were going to have to fill replacing nazem kadri now you take gabe out of it no kadri no gabe and you don't do anything significant at the trade deadline hey man that if this thing falls short that's going to be the reason why and and that'll be on the front office that'll be on joe Sackick. that'll be on chris mcfarland and and this front office has been nails uh, over the last several years but in this case i think they dropped the ball and i don't understand why you know because was it because they didn't want to give up a, a, a first round draft pick i know they don't have um first round uh draft picks or, or or and second round picks coming up for the for the next couple of drafts but who cares you're in a championship window now great, you hold on to a first-round pick that's going to be a late first-round pick, and if the player even turns out to be a contributing NHL player, it's not going to be for another three, four years. So I don't get it. Just kind of a short-sighted approach to making sure that you have everything in in place to go make another run. So we'll see if that plays out. Look, there's still a lot of hockey left to be played. There's still a lot of opportunity for guys to step up and, and really elevate their game under the bright lights of the playoffs and, and show that the abs can have that, you know, th- th- that those contributions through all four lines, certainly the top three lines that we saw a year ago. But if there is one overall concern to take out of Game 1, not so much for this series, but if you're just talking about the Avs' ability to go deep and and contend for and win another Stanley Cup – are they going to get that secondary scoring, that depth scoring throughout their forward lines? And last night was concerning because they got nothing. And just how much can you count on Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon uh, to carry the the load? They got to get more. You got to get more from Val Nechuskin, You got to get more from Arturi Lekanen. But it's those other guys. You're going to have to get... You know, JT Comfort, you're going to have to get Alex Newhook. You're going to have to get Logan O'Connor to pop one home. You're going to have to get uh, Evan Rodriguez. They, they have to make more contributions because if there is one obvious difference um, between this year's team and last year's team, it's that. It's the depth across the forward lines. And it was an issue in game one. I think the Avs will be able to win this series, even with some of those concerns. But can they go deep? That's going to be a fair question. I think it's a a fair concern and criticism uh, to raise right now. But um, game one in the books Avs got their wake-up call. Do not panic. I think this team has earned the right, have they not, to be trusted to respond the right way. I think you'll see a much better, much more determined, much uh, grittier effort from the Avs in game two. And I would uh, expect a rather convincing winning game, too. And then they head to Seattle for games three and four. And as I've been saying throughout this entire stretch run, when people were making such a big deal of the Abs getting home ice through the first round and even the second round, I, I kept saying, folks, the Avalanche are a better road team. They're a better playoff road team than they are a home team. I, I trust the Avs more on the road than I do at home. I mean, it's not like I completely distrust them at home, but you get what I'm saying. I trust them more on the road. So get your win tomorrow in game two, even the series up, go to Seattle and put the pressure on Seattle because now Seattle will be in that environment where everybody's going to be hopped up. Everybody's going to be going crazy. You know, playoff hockey for the first time for the Kraken, they're going to be the ones that might want to put on a show and might try to push the issue. And it's the Avs that can go into that uh, playoff road mode and wouldn't surprise me in the least if they come back with uh with two wins on the road and come back home up 3-1 to close this thing out so that's what i'm going with i understand you're all ready to call me Jinxie cat again but uh that's what i believe will happen We shall see. We'll be right back here again on the Mile High Hockey Podcast after uh, game two on Friday. We'll we'll bring you that, so make sure you're ready to go for that. My thanks to Sean Gates for uh, engineering and uh, producing all this. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast.